In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I confess that I I think I've already mentioned in this setting that I am um, notably unathletic. But I did have a very brief stint on the track team when I was in high school. And I know my experience probably pales in comparison to the uh, few of us in this room probably who are real runners, marathon runners, or real athletes. But I wonder if each one of us might remember what it was like to walk out on game day or meet day out into onto the field with a team and to walk into a place where there was a crowd of people surrounding us, cheering us on, our friends, our families, our whole community. And perhaps you, like me, had an embarrassingly loud parent shouting from the stands. Well, that sense of having a crowd cheering you on and rooting you on is what we get from our first lesson for today's from the letter to the Hebrews. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews has in mind that experience of a race in a crowded stadium. He's thinking of those ancient amphitheaters that dotted the Roman Empire. There was an arena down low where the athletes competed, and surrounding the arena were ascending bleachers of stone so that the spectators were up high looking down on the action below. Hebrews chapter 11 defines faith and um, says that a faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. And then the writer goes on to describe Israel's patriarchs and prophets as examples of lives of faith lived out in the midst of adversity and suffering. And so when he goes on to chapter 12 and he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there he is intentionally recalling that cultural event of the games set in the amphitheater, the athletes down low competing, and the crowd surrounding them, cheering them on. Well, those great heroes um, are witnesses. They're witnesses because they have borne testimony. They have borne witness to God's faithfulness in their own lives as they persevered. And they are also witnesses in the sense that they are watching, perhaps, what goes on now with us in the arena of life. This cloud of witnesses are our examples. They're meant to provide inspiration, not condemnation. We call this cloud of witnesses the communion of saints in our prayers. And this communion of saints includes not just the saints of the Old Testament mentioned in Hebrews, but also all those people who have believed in Jesus from the last 2,000 years on. And so we're surrounded by these saints in some spiritual sense. And yet, our focus is not to be on them. The saints are blurry, kind of out of focus, unseen, as though they are um, like the crowd in the stands of a stadium, but it's at a night game and the bright lights are shining down on the athletes and you can't see out, really. You can't see the saints. We're not meant to look at them because we, like them, 
are called to run our race, the race that is set before us. We are called to lay aside every weight and every sin and to run our race the way that they ran their race. Have you noticed that the race that is set before each one of us is unique? The trials and sufferings of this earthly life at times feel tailored almost to each one of us. We might despair over the trials and difficulties of our circumstances and how many of us have looked over at our neighbor and said with proud relief, at least it's not that bad. Or with shame at our own lack of faith. Why am I struggling when I have so much less to deal with than this poor other person? Our race is unique to us. I think of that image of the track meet where each event is different. Some people are called to throw the shot put and others will run hurdles and some will run long distance while others are sprinters. Well, the sins, the burdens, the trials and the sufferings that each one of us might undergo are as tailored almost as a fingerprint. They're challenges for us specifically. We might never choose them ourselves, and yet they are the race that is set before us, through which we must persevere like those saints of old. And so though the details of the race and the struggles for each Christian are different, I would say that one thing is universal. Every single one of us will hit a wall, most likely several times over, within the space of a week or the space of a day, but certainly within the space of a lifetime. And those original recipients of the letter to the Hebrews are at that point of hitting a wall. They are about to give up. And the author says to them later on in chapter 12 that they are lame, that they're drooping hands. They must lift up their drooping hands and their weak knees. When we hit a wall, we too are lame. And how do we go on except that we must take a page from the playbook of the saints that have gone on before and we must focus our gaze upward. That was the only way that they endured. They trusted God and they looked to the fulfillment of his promises. But we we get to have a clearer focal point than those Old Testament saints. As Calvin wrote, if those on whom the great light of grace had not yet shone, showed such surpassing constancy in bearing their ills, what effects will the full glory of the gospel have on us? The saints of old saw dimly. They looked up toward a tiny spark of light. But we have the sun of righteousness that shines on us. And that son is Jesus Christ himself. And so as we each run our race, we must set our sights on Jesus Christ. He is the fixed point in the storms of life, like a lighthouse or a landmark. You might have heard a shout out to Cape Cod this morning. While my whole family is gathered on Cape Cod in the place where we always go every year for our yearly clam bake and family reunion. We go, we 
travel across a sound from one a little, a little tiny sound in a little tiny bay to a little tiny island, and we dig a fire pit and we throw all the clams and whatever else we think we might want to eat into the fire pit and wait several hours um, for it all to come out and cook. And to get over to this little island, you have to row because, of course, my grandparents are old-fashioned. They will not take a motorboat. If rowing was good enough for them, it's good enough for us. So as a very young child, I learned to row across this sound. And I remember panicking, thinking that the strong waves, the current, and even the wind was going to buffet me off my mark. And I learned that um, I might row a little bit in this direction and then have to row a little bit in that direction. But that always I would have a sure or straight line if I had a fixed point on the horizon. Some ingenious ancestor of mine built a boathouse that's now weathered and completely beaten up. Um, but he painted on it this bright white triangle. This enormous triangle that looks like a fake sailboat in the fog. And it shines through the fog. You can still see it on those many foggy nights or mornings. You can see it even a little bit at night. And so as I learned to row, I learned to keep my eyes right on that fixed point of the false sailboat. I kept my eyes straight ahead. And that's how I set my course. Well, Jesus is the only fixed point by which we can set the course of our life. We have no hope of enduring the struggles with sin, the trials of our faith, and the sufferings that we don't choose but that make up the race that's set before us. We have no hope unless we set our eyes on our sights on Jesus. Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, and that means that he is everywhere in between. Jesus is at the starting line of the marathon of this life of faith, and he is standing at the finishing line. He is there also to give us strength at every step along the way. Now why? Why do we keep our sights fixed on him? Why is he the fixed point? Well, it's because Jesus also ran a race. As Hebrews 12 said, he endured the utmost pain and suffering when he went to the cross on our behalf. He ran his race for us. Hebrews tells us that he endured by looking up with joyful expectation to the end of his race and the fulfillment of its purpose. And what was the purpose of his race, his death, but to bring about our reconciliation with God? Hebrews says that for the sake of the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and he has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. You and I, we together are essentially the joy that was set before Jesus. Jesus set his sights on the Father's love, which included us, forgiven, restored, and reunited with God. He knew that this could happen only through his own death. And so he set his face to the cross. He had faith in the Father's purposes And he was faithful and obedient. And because of his obedience, 
because he finished the race set before him, there is now a way through him for us to return to God, no matter how far away we've drifted. When we receive this truth, then Jesus too is our joy. We are his joy and Jesus is our joy. The marathon of this earthly life of faith is begun by grace. It is run by grace and we will finish only by the grace of God. And so today, as you undergo whatever race God has put in front of you, Remember, to look up, Jesus has won already. Set your sights on him. You are forgiven. There is now no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And he has gone ahead to prepare a place for you. That where he is, along with all the other saints, there we will be. With himself, with the Father, with the Son, to live eternally. And for that we can say, thanks be to God.